Welcome, everyone. <clears throat> Master, do you have that photo? <laughs> Most of you know that uh, Devi Ma and Anandi and Swami Turyananda are in Ganeshpuri. I guess this picture was taken today, perhaps. Oh, right. As the, this is taken while they're watching. Now. While they're watching, they're online watching, ah. and uh, they're sitting on the uh, they're sitting on the uh, veranda at Kotiwala. Uh, that's my usual view of it. I'm sitting right there where the camera is, uh, and I'm feeling very jealous at the moment. <laughs> but we've been talking to them, and it's been great. And I was hoping we'd have a live transmission from there tonight, but, uh, you know, when I first got to India, if you wanted to call home, you had to book a week in advance, and then you go into Bombay, into a little booth, and then if you were lucky, you could speak for 20 minutes. And, and now it's uh, very easy to do it, but still not quite easy enough for a live transmission, but Davy Ma kindly recorded a couple of minutes earlier today, so let's uh, watch that. We turn this light down here. Hello, everyone. It's wonderful to be back in Ganeshpuri. Words can't express uh, the amount of love and great feeling that the villagers have for all of us and for for you and for Swamiji. And they're so looking forward to our visit next year. And they keep asking me, where's Swamiji? Where's Swamiji? Where's Guruji? Where's Guruji? And I have to say, oh, he's coming, but next year, next November. And I'm sure you're taking, all taking very good care of him and uh, making sure he walks on the treadmill. <laughs> so we have to nag him if he's not. And today we went and had, uh, I know that you're celebrating uh, Bhagwan's birthday in the satsang tonight. and. Of course, the temple is, is as live and, and glowing as, as usual. And there's a lot going on in the village right now, so it's very busy. But uh, there you're fortunate to have uh, Guruji's darshan and company. And today I went to, we all went to uh, uh, GSP to have Baba's darshan and his samadhi shrine, and that was just wonderful. I had a wonderful darshan of, of Baba Muktananda. And wonderful darshan of the whole whole village so get yours as I as we've been saying save your pennies for next year and make sure you don't miss the next trip because it's a wonderful experience that you'll always remember and always hold in your heart so until we meet again in satsang Sakura Nath Maharaj DJ and here's uh, Toriji and Anandi are here so they're going to say hello. wave and say hello. Namaskar, hello from Ganeshpuri, Jai Nityanand. It's beautiful to be here with Devi Ma, it's very nice and warm, the villages are so full of love and there's much Shakti everywhere so we're happy to be here and sending you much love. Sending lots of love. Maharaj DJ. I like to begin my talks by uh, 
quoting my guru, Baba Muktananda, who always began his talks by saying in Hindi, With great respect and love, I welcome you all with all my heart. And he said that that's the essence of spirituality, to welcome another person with love. And uh, it's very easy to feel that feeling when you have darshan of Ganeshpuri. Uh, let me explain a few things. Uh, Ganeshpuri, first of all. Ganeshpuri is a little village about 50 miles outside of Mumbai. Um, and it's, uh, it was pretty much of a wilderness. Uh, in the 30s, Bhagwan Nityananda, the, uh, the great being Bhagwan Nityananda, made his way there, and he uh, uh, eventually a, a whole town sprang up around him and became a spiritual hub. Uh, and thousands and thousands of people came to see him uh, in that village. He, he had an ashram there. Uh, and one of the people that came to see him was my guru, Baba Muktananda. Um, and then uh, Nityananda gave Baba some land just a couple a kilometer away, and Baba founded his ashram, and it's in that ashram that I did my sadhana, my yoga practice early in the 70s, um, and that's where they visited today, where Baba is buried in that place, very powerful place. So the whole place is filled with the grace of the siddhas, and it's an incredibly powerful center. And you can be skeptical, but when you get there, it hits you like a ton of bricks, and it's like entering a different plane of consciousness, literally, is that. <clears throat> now, Baba's, Baba Gwanitinanda's birthday. First of all, when you understand Bhagwan Nityananda, let's take a look at Bhagwan first. There he is. The, the, this fellow and birthday don't go together. <clears throat> Bhagwan, it's your birthday. Happy birthday. Oh, thank you. I don't know. By the way, that was a beautiful blue dress you had. Did you get that at Target? <laughs> okay. So another, that's uh, Baba's favorite pose. The, the statue in Baba's ashram is from this pose. Next. Yeah, there he is. This was on his birthday a few years ago. <laughs> and uh, next, here he is, the devotees, thousands, thousands of devotees from all over India would come. Uh, and as it said, wore a, a loincloth <clears throat> most of the time. Uh, that's it? Yeah. So. Birthday and Bhagwan Nityananda go, don't go together, principally because we know very little about his early history. He wasn't one to sit around and say, you know, when I was five, this happened, and when I was 12, that happened. Uh, it was, he was in a cosmic state, and those, those uh, personal details didn't seem to matter much to him. But one day, the story I'm told, devotees said, we want to celebrate your birthday. And he said, you can celebrate it on the 30th of November. Now, does that mean he was actually born on the 30th of November? No one will ever know. But anyway, the 30th of November is celebrated as his birthday. Today is the, what's today, the 26th? 
So that's close to the 30th. We, do, we celebrate everything on Saturday. But we'll be watching the uh, live feed from Ganeshpuri on the, on the 30th. So that's Bhagwan's uh, <clears throat> birthday. But in honor of that, I, uh, I got a special little treat. Uh, recently I've been poring over uh, the Ashram magazine. It was called Gurudevani. It started in 1964 by Baba's disciple, Amma. And it was a collection of testimonials and writings by devotees. And also, Baba would also have an essay in it. And there'd be a lot of pictures of the ashram. And it came out once a month, once a year, on Guru Purnima. And we always looked forward to it. And, and uh, by the early 70s, I wrote a piece most of those years. But this is way back. I found one in the first, very first issue, 1964, by Sri Wankedi. And Wankedi was a visitor, a visitor to the ashram. He was a prominent political figure. He was the finance minister of Maharashtra at one point, very big office. Uh, and his assistant became one of Baba's most visible devotees named Dada Yande who was always retired uh, to the ashram and so on. But Wankedi uh, came, you know, sort of regularly but infrequently in my day. But this was an article by him, so I thought I'd share it, because I never get tired of people meeting, accounts of meeting Bhagwan Nityananda. There have been some great accounts of that. And it goes on to talk about Baba. <clears throat> I'm summar I'll summarize the first part. Uh, he said, he was never interested in sadhus, Wankhedi. He was born into a well-to-do family and did well at school and he became a lawyer. He said that his, this attitude, his attitude was that people went to saints for material gain and his material life was fine, so he had no reason to be interested in these things. It seems strange to us, perhaps, but in India, it's very common. People go for a blessing, for money, for a child, for find a husband, find a wife, get over a disease, they go for uh, physical things, rarely for spiritual things, but not, not never, but rarely. Uh, he says, at that time, spirituality was beyond my comprehension. He had a feeling for a humanity and a latent spirituality that led him to join Mahatma Gandhi's freedom struggle. So you know that the uh, the, the battle for independence culminated on August 15th, 1947, uh, when India got, finally got its independence from, from England. Uh, <clears throat> uh, and now that there's an Indian prime minister, India has managed to take over England, finally. <clears throat> he admired Gandhi greatly. Gandhi's saintliness eventually led him to appreciate yogis and saints. He softened his attitude towards sadhus, which had been negative. Sadhus are swamis. After independence, he worked uh, for building up the new India and attained the man ministerial chair. He felt his political office was a sacred trust, and he discovered that an intelligent understanding of the heart was the key to all happiness. That's pretty good. <clears throat> He felt that there were people who attained that and became the embodiment of bliss 
but that they were few and far between. They were rare. So now he goes on. This is actually his words now. Uh, I was fortunate in meeting one such great soul during the course of my duties. I met him at Ganeshpuri, a place about 50 miles north of Bombay. As finance minister of Maharashtra, I had to examine the proposal of granting about 10 acres of government forest land at a nominal price to the Nityananda Religious Trust. I thought, I better see this great man before granting the land which was being asked for in his name. Pretty responsible for a, a, an official, isn't it? So he went out to see him. <clears throat> it was sometime at the end of July, 1961, that my visit to Ganeshwari was arranged. Now those of you who know who Nityananda's biography know that he died on August 8th, 1961. So at the end of July was in the last two weeks of his life and he was very ill. Um, <clears throat> anyway, it was a rainy day, but a large crowd had collected outside Sri Nityananda's residence for his darshan. I was informed that since morning, equally large crowds had collected and for his darshan and had departed. That meant that quite a few thousand people were visiting Ganeshpuri every day for a look at this great man. They called him Bhagwan, which means God. And I too felt the same way when I saw him. He was ill that day and was lying on a, on a cot in a big hall, his dark figure naked all except for a loincloth. As we approached him, I felt as if I was entering a magnetic field, which absorbed all my worries and left me clean and comfortable. I felt relaxed. He beckoned me to sit near his cot on a carpet. He then looked at me with a straight gaze just for a while and waved somebody to get me coconut water. So he just transmitted something to him. And coconut water is a way of honoring a special guest, you know, so he was honoring as the minister. It was immediately brought. All this while, he did not say a single word, but his silence was extremely eloquent. It went right through my personality, cleaning it thoroughly in the process. As I got up to leave, I felt like light as a feather. <clears throat> the mind had as if unloaded its weight at the feet of this great master and was enjoying the, the state of carefree, thought-free existence. I remembered the words of a friend who once said that a mind free of thoughts was a result of rigorous self-discipline and self-denials. So in other words, he got Shaktipat in that moment from Bhagwan Nityananda, just the, his presence uh, catalyzed him. Uh, Lankati continues, only a prolonged course of yogic practices could bring a man somewhere near this place. The great masters, however, could easily induce this much coveted state into anyone by a mere look. I experienced this phenomenon in the presence of Bhagwan Sri Nityananda. I was then taken to Swami Muktananda, a disciple of the master, and that was just up the road at his ashram. He was a well-built sannyasi, very humble and very hospitable. He made me sit on a carpet and himself sat on an ordinary mat in all humility. He asked one of his attendants to garland me 
and then offered me tea and biscuits. He was quite a chip off the old block. All joy and energy. <laughs> Isn't chip off the old block means you like your father? So he wasn't like Bhagwan, but he was actually. But uh, maybe he means it a different way. <clears throat> the whole atmosphere around him was vibrant with joy. That was also true uh, 10 years later when I was with him and there were thousands of people there. It was vibrant with joy. One could feel the same relaxation and lightness of heart in his presence which one experienced at the feet of his master. I was in the company of real live great saints who had retained full control of their body reflexes even after realizing the ultimate truth, oneness with the absolute self. This was like retaining old childhood contacts even after reaching the heights, a very rare commodity. <clears throat> I was very much at home with these great sadhus. I suppose I had been all my life worshiping the same ideals of which these great men were living embodiments. Bhagwan Nityananda left his body very soon thereafter, and all I could see of him on my next visit to Ganeshpuri was his samadhi shrine. That's very sad, isn't it? <clears throat> I was, however, happy that he'd left behind him a great disciple in the form of Swami Muktananda, who now attracts aspirants from all over the world. And he's writing in 1964, so he ain't seen nothing yet. In the next 15 years, it just went insane. Meeting Baba, he says, is always a great pleasure, and even a little while spent in his company, and I was talking about Baba Muktananda, completely refreshes me. I feel charged with energy. I'm glad that my ideas about sadhus are now changed on account of my firsthand experience of these great men. Had I still clung to my old prejudices, I would have done great injustice to these selfless servants of God who see him in everything and everything in him, the divine in everything and everything in the divine. They are reservoirs of true knowledge which feed the world with the love of God so necessary to maintain uh, in its emotional balance. That's his little piece. <clears throat> so one Katie still continued to uh, visit Baba right to the end of Baba's life. So, nice story. I've got something like that, an even juicier story for Christmas, <laughs> but I won't get ahead of myself. But I thought also that I would do uh, a few of Bhagwan Nityananda's aphorisms on his birthday. <clears throat> um, Bhagwan Nityananda, as you heard in that account, uh, didn't speak much, didn't give many teachings. Uh, it was his presence vibrating with energy, with shakti, spiritual energy, that was so extraordinary. Uh, and that presence is in no way diminished now. When you go to Ganeshpuri, uh, you feel that immense presence. Uh, <clears throat> but he did talk and make remarks and there was a devotee in the 20s who started writing them down because they were so extraordinary uh, and so, um, what's the word, uh, what's that, uh, lateral. You know about lateral thinking? He was a lateral thinker, he was a lateral beyond the lateral. 
you went out to lateral thinking, then you made a lateral from that place, and you went somewhere else, and then you get somewhere there, Bhagwan Nityananda. But his aphorisms are very interesting uh, and uplifting, too. So here are a few. These are ones that uh, uh, we discovered. They're not, I haven't, they weren't published in uh, the collection we usually read, so these are new. <clears throat> he says, the copra, uh, copra is the dried white flesh of the coconut, the white thing. The copra detached from the shell makes a dull so sound when shaken. You know, when it gets detached, you hear it rattle. <clears throat> so also the soul and body must be thought of as separate. He's always making it out. Well, is it, it was funny with Bhagwan. He would see things in the village, little things. A fire that's lit, a car that goes by, uh, a bus that goes by, uh, a light that goes on, a uh, well. He'd see these things and immediately uh, relate it to some divine uh, analogy, some divine event. So he, he sees this. We've got a coconut tonight. It probably got some water in it, probably. Detached um, <clears throat> from the cell, it makes a dull sound. So also the soul and body must be thought of as separate. The soul is pure light, and by that light all vices are consumed. So Bhagavan saying that the soul, the self, lives in the body, but is not the body, and it's separate. And the, the goal in meditation is to know that self. That self is consciousness. It's our awareness, and to know that awareness and then to cultivate that awareness, to work on that awareness, purify that awareness, so that instead of suffering, instead of uh, misery, worry, uh, anger, jealousy, disappointment, depression, instead of that we refine it so there's only joy, only peace, and only wisdom there. And this is what we do through meditation, through spiritual practice. Here's another one. <clears throat> Bhagavan says, all creation is mental. The body is nothing but a means to an end. Shakti is of the Atman, of the self. Shakti, spiritual energy. Now he's getting into Bhagwan ease here. You ready? The highest tower is in the head. This is the seed of the Atman. Many, many yogis say the, the seat of the Atman is the heart, and Bhagwan you say it's in the Sahasrara. Of course, Baba explained that the heart and the Sahasrara are really one. But he says the seat is in the head. This is the sky of consciousness. The sky of consciousness. This is the greatest support. The Ajna, the sixth chakra here, third eye, is the support. The seat of Kundalini is the heart sky. I'm not saying that it's in the base of the spine, I'm saying it's in consciousness itself, the seed of the divine power. Thinking of the self is like traveling in a train. <laughs> I can't tell you how important trains are in India. And Bhagavan Nityananda must have gone all over India by train, because there's a lot of train imagery. Listen, thinking of self is like traveling in a train. The male train is the Raja Yogi. The local train is the Hatha Yogi. 
So the mail train must go without a stop, right? No, it's the express. The, the, the Calcutta mail just goes right to, but the locals stop at every stop. So Raja Yogi, Raja Yoga, the, the highest yoga, Siddha Yoga, Shiva Yoga is the highest yoga. That goes right to the goal. Hatha Yoga is a little slower. He says, the difference is only in time. It doesn't matter. You get there, even if you go slow, you get to the goal. Although the velocity is the same, time differs. They both go at the same speed, but they get there at different times. <laughs> this difference is the delusion of the mind. So you figure that one out. <clears throat> Another one. Oh, beggar, burn the delusion of mind in the fire of yoga. All your dumb thoughts, all your negative emotions, all your paranoias, all your uh, opinions, burn them up. They just get in the way of knowing the heart, knowing the self, knowing love. And so burn them up, discard them, and focus on the self, he's saying. Those who have not realized the self do not know the truth. No matter how many degrees they may have gotten, no matter how many books they've read, no matter how many lectures they give, uh, unless they've realized the self, they don't really know anything. They do not experience real joy, he says. Egoistic tendencies are not destroyed. Be always immersed in ananda, in bliss. Be always immersed in bliss. Bury your desire in the depth of your mind. Go deep within, beyond the desire, into the self. Desire is fruitless. Destroy it internally. And just as the Buddha said that desire is the root of suffering, so Bhagavan Nityananda says, give up desire and be content in this moment and you'll find eternal bliss. Another one. After being born, the first thing is to become desireless. <laughs> first, first task. This leads to the destruction of the seeds of birth and death. Of course, the teaching says that what carries us to be reborn is unfulfilled desire. Of course, we want this. So, yes, the universe provides us with that. And we go through all these experiences. And they carry us forward. When a man is subjected to repeated sorrows, he must cling to the light by the exercise of subtle discrimination. All of us have, the Buddha said, life is full of suffering. There is suffering. Everybody experienced that. Suffering is of many kinds. Suffering is frustration. We don't get what we want. Things don't work out the way we want. He says, so we, repeated, we repeatedly have suffering. Even today, think about it, you probably had seven sufferings. Things didn't go the way you wanted. Somebody said something unkind. Somebody misinterpreted what you said. Somebody said something, you heard something. You didn't get that or this or that or you got something you didn't want to get. Seven times today. And that was a good day. <clears throat> Your team lost. Uh, but despite all of that, the, the task is to cling to the light. Because the light is always there. 
How do you do it? Through subtle discrimination, only through real intelligence, that you can make the choice to cling to the light. Now he goes into some yoga. Pranavayu and the apanavayu must be merged in the atman, the in-breath and the out-breath, merged in the self. The two, the, the, uh, the two breaths get merged in the sushumna, in the central canal. When these two are united, all conditions are annihilated. <clears throat> if you were to meditate on the breath and watch the breath come up and go out, come in, go out, go up and go down, eventually you become aware of a third movement, which is the movement up to the central canal, the central movement, which is a movement of bliss and joy. Not a fiction, this is actually what happens. And then all conditions are annihilated. Before the expiration of prana, one must attain mukti. That must mean that before you die, you must attain liberation. Then it becomes one indivisible, losing its duality. Bhagavan didn't have time for anything except liberation. So the meaning of life. What are we here for? To acquire money, to acquire... Uh, properties to uh, procreate, to become well-known, to have a lot of uh, clothing. <laughs> no. It's to attain the self. To attain the self. <clears throat> anyway. Sorry about that. Uh, how are we doing? Are you Bhagwan out? The Bhagwan, the Bhagwan zone. Uh, I've got a long one and two short ones. <clears throat> you want to hear the long one first? Okay, here we go. Shabda sound is generated in a kash space. <laughs> that, <laughs> I can't even do it. That which is generated in space is life energy. He's being very philosophical and psychedelic, you could say. <clears throat> so that Shakti comes in space. Brahman is space, Shiva, and Shakti is generated within that space. What is called Akash, space, is in the head. Akash is heart space. Life energy is one only. Just as there is difference between a river and the sea, also there is difference between jivatman and paramatman. I always talk about this. I say that there are two narratives that we have within us. Jivatman is the narrative of our personhood. You know, I did this, I did that, I went there, I went there, this is good, that's bad, blah, 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 all that. And then paramatman is the supreme self. And that's a narrative that we're not usually aware of uh, until maybe we meet the guru. We meet the guru, the guru says, you are the self, and we become aware of a whole different dimension of life, knowledge of the, of the inner self. So he says, uh, there's a difference between the jivatman and the paramatman. These two things, our personal narrative and our divine narrative. That's the business of satsang. We're here to celebrate the divine narrative. Each of us has different personal biography, but we meet 
in that place of the self. And uh, it, we don't get much support from our culture from this stage of history, but we will win in the end because consciousness must go back to that place eventually. He says, the difference between jivatma and paramatman is one of degree, not of kind. The individual self and the supreme self are the same. Matter of degree, not kind. One must not think in terms of I and mine. This is the cause of the next birth. That man of little intelligence who thinks, that man is of little intelligence, thinks in terms of I and mine. By so thinking, he descends to a lower birth. Selfishness, greed, self-concern, worry, self-pity, all these things make us focus on the ego. And that focus uh, contracts us, makes us smaller. So he's saying, through intelligence, don't do that. Think of the higher self. He says, the light of the sun is the great light. The light given by a gas light is the lesser light. To those who have lost the difference between day and night, the light of the sun and the light of the gaslight are the same. So the paramatman is the light of the sun, and the, the individual, the jivatman, the, the ego self, is the gaslight. But if you've lost the discrimination, then you think your ego is God, and then you live your life that way. He says... One's faith is the greatest thing. Above faith, there is no God. Faith. Uh, in this world, there's nothing higher than faith. Very interesting, isn't it? Doesn't mean blind faith, but faith in the highest. Uh, Sai Baba Shiri said, had two words written everywhere. Uh, Shraddha, what was the other one? Saburi. Shraddha and Saburi, which is faith and persistence. What, what was it? Endurance. Patience. So faith and patience. Faith and patience. A man with faith cannot be deceived by the wicked tricks of others. Man enjoys that, which, that in which he has his faith. The eternal faith should be concentrated upon the breath. Those who have no faith have no intelligence. Those who have no faith have no regard for sadhus and sannyasis. It means they're not interested in the spiritual path. So it's a, it's a great blessing to be awakened to the relevance and importance of the spiritual path because it doesn't happen to everybody. So everybody in this room is interested in that. So it's already a great blessing because think about people you grew up with and so on, how many of them are interested in spirituality and in the higher truth? Well, in my case, very few. So I'm sure it's not that different from you. So, so this is faith. This is uh, it's a blessing. Okay, two, two others. How was that one? Good, like that? <clears throat> okay. To a blind man, there's no difference between day and night. To him, eternal, eternal light is of no use. In him, the inner light is strong. So being blind is then an advantage in spirituality, he's saying. 
The blind do not see external forms as their physical eyes do not see, but their spiritual eye becomes very effective. Blind men cannot describe the form of a carriage by feeling it with touch. That's a Bhagwanism right there. Seems to be talking about how great blind people are because they have certain advantage in the inner world. And then he says, blind men cannot describe the form of a carriage by feeling it with touch. You know the story of the blind men and the elephant, a famous old story. But, so they, they can't really get the shape of it. You can figure it out. <clears throat> Another one. In perfect sleep, men forget everything. Suppose you walk 10 miles and then sleep. You're quite unaware of your existence in this world. In other words, you're very active and then you sleep, you forget everything. So also when you're hungry, you must satisfy your hunger by taking food for yourself. That's it. How do you interpret that? <clears throat> everything is your own experience. <clears throat> Just as your own sleep, the whole world is obliterated. And so when you're hungry, you have to eat. And so to know the self, no one can do it for you. It's your own direct experience. You, you have to turn within faith you need, faith in the great beings, faith in the teaching of the guru, faith in the teaching of the scriptures. What do they say? They say that through meditation, through self-inquiry, through contemplation, we can discover a wellspring, a wealth within us, a treasure house of joy and of love and of peace. These are things that we seek in all of our activities outwardly, but saying that we're looking in the wrong direction. They say, look within and find that truth within. And when I met Baba, I saw clearly that he was in touch with some kind of wellspring of joy, the like of which I'd never seen before. And I'd met a lot of distinguished people, great professors, famous in their field, published many books, won awards, but they were not in touch with this wellspring of joy and luminosity. Most of their joy they got through the bottle, <laughs> through their scotch and their rye. Um, but they were not in touch with this source. And I saw that Baba came from that place. He somehow tapped that place within. And he said, yes, that's true, I have, and you can do it too. And that's why we get together to do that, to find itself. So no one else can eat for you, and no one else can sleep for you, and no one else can know the self for you. And so what the sages do is urge everyone to do it. You're going to do it someday. Why not get on it? It's the meaning of life. It's the ultimate goal. When you run out of all your other trips, you come up and say, well, it must be inside. So why not? And I'm going to the models. I have my water bowl. <clears throat> and I'm sick of it. I'm off. Come on.
No, I enjoy being here too much. <clears throat> okay, so let's meditate. Let's say happy birthday to Bhagwan. We should probably sing it. <laughs> but let's not. Everybody say happy birthday. Bhagwan Nityananda, how old would he be today? Well, nobody knows. <laughs> the short answer, he'd be, oh, I don't know, 100 and something. Uh, so we'll meditate. We'll meditate for 10 minutes. And let's take what Bhagwan said very seriously. <clears throat> Look within and do it as though you've done it for the first time. Many of you are experienced meditators. Some of you may not have meditated much or if, maybe not at all. But look within with a childlike innocence. And look within. Consciousness is within. The self is within. Happiness and joy is within. Great energy is within. Peace is within, contentment is within. It doesn't mean that when you turn within, agitation won't be there and difficulty, but if you keep going, you let all that quiet down, you'll get to that place of fulfillment and stillness within. And a very great aid is the mantra of the lineage, Om Namah Shivaya, I bow to the self, Om Namah Shivaya, I bow to that Shiva who is divine consciousness. And you can just repeat that to yourself and let other thoughts fade away. So let's meditate now on the self for 10 minutes. And once again, with great respect and love, remembering the great Bhagwan Nityananda, uh, I welcome you all with all my heart. Satguru Maharaj Ki Jai. Let's meditate. <laughs> 